Now it gives me great pleasure in welcoming and introducing our spiritual director, the man who holds the torch and the light for us all, Reverend Patrick Cameron. Good morning, thank you. But you did. All right, awesome. So um, I'm going to invite you to sing a song with me. Anybody here for the first time? Welcome. We sing a song and I say a prayer. And some people like to stand up. You don't have to stand up. And just just observe today and you'll know where you are. And, and uh, But we thank you for checking us out. Welcome. In this very room There's quite enough love For all the world And in this very room There's quite enough joy For all the world And there's quite enough love and quite enough power to walk through our every fear for spirit one spirit is in this very room in this very room In this very room as, I, as we stand and sit together What I invite you to know with me in this moment Is one life God's life Spirit's life It is everywhere present And we see it in the beauty of the world We see it in the beauty of one another's eyes It is that indwelling spirit It is everywhere present It is everywhere present and nowhere in particular. But what we do by our act of faith and impressing upon this infinite law new ideas, we direct our faith. And so this day, I direct this infinite intelligence in myself and you to reveal and to support and to resource every good idea, the next good idea for me to step through and into that doorway. And so I give thanks. We stand upon the shoulders of giants, the avatars that have come before us, the peacemakers, and those visionaries that have stretched all of us into the new possibilities of life and love and possibility. A world that works for everyone. A life, our individual lives that work for us. And the ability and the discernment to lovingly and graciously put aside anything that no longer applies. With great love to move forward and step through that new threshold of possibility, love and light. For this I give thanks. And together we say, and so it is. Thank you. Please be seated. I just want to say I... Um, how blessed we are uh, with the musicians and the, and the consciousness and the attitude, the sum total of, of uh, artistry that we have. And uh, I did a wedding yesterday with, with Martin, and it was just wonderful to watch people stand in awe and listen to me. We were at this, in this backyard. It was quite amazing. And, and, and Brian and Brown and, and, and their commitment and Bell and... All the people, there's Tom Golub and Dan Secker and all the people that come and um, are drawn together. Well, I was at an event Friday night where they donated their time for one of our divine dinings. It was amazing. 
And so the music is so important because the music is, is, is spiritual practice. And I'm just, I'm just, I stand, you know, I'm so glad you guys know that song because I'm so, my cup runneth over today. And, and for you to be able to sing it because I was just so choked up I could barely get through it. But it, that, uh, the fullness of life and to be available to what's happening and wants to happen. And so I wanted to, to speak some more to this week about, uh, today about a number of... Yeah, sweet. Thank you, guys. I think I should make you all stand out here while I do my entire talk. They're just amazing. You know, I said to Martin afterwards, I said, I just got to tell you, man, I, I, I just... It's not just their, their, music, their musicianship, which is one thing, but it's also the quality of, of people they are. And after the ceremony, I said, Martin, I'm just so honored to, to go anywhere with you. And um, he did us proud at a Solomar this year. And, and the women, it was great after the wedding, they'd come up and go, you are great. And I, every once in a while, I'd, I'd be close enough to say, yes, he is. Yes, he is. So I've been using some poetry but based, uh, to springboard off that inspiration. And the, and the, because we stand for the artistry and we stand for the creativity. We stand for the freedom. And we are an inclusive. We're not a religion. Hallelujah. We're a way of life. Don't have a quick fix for anybody. Can't forgive your sins. I can't do that. But you can. And so really what it is, we are teaching that teaches two, two things. And I talked about it last week. The law of the, the, the divinity of humanity and the law of cause and effect. That that which we dwell upon, we become. Where we put our energy, we create based on that. And so it really is, in, in, my, in my take on that, it, it serves me well to do, continue to do my spiritual practice and my spiritual work so that I may be fully present to do that work and to listen because I want to be in that conversation. And so I, I was, um, a friend of mine spent some time with Dr. Michael Beckwith last week and, and I would call it, I, I call it futurizing and pasteurizing. He calls it tense. It's a lot of tension in the world. There's a lot of future tense and past tense. Our minds go in four directions. If this is now, if this is right now, then I'm here with you now. Some of you may not, you're, you may still be catching up. Some of you may be out in the future. Some of you may be in the past. But when I'm in the future, I'm worrying. I'm anxious. And I'm fantasizing. We do that. But, when I, see, but if you know this, if you know the map, then you can say, oh, I'm in the future. It's not to, to beat yourself up. It's simply to have the information. This is part of the mastery that we teach. It's the science of mind. Dr. Holmes said to learn how to think is to learn how to live. Well, if we know how our mind works, we have a better chance of bringing ourselves back to now. So if I'm out here worrying, well, wait a minute, is this productive? Because worrying is paying debt on something, is paying on a debt not yet owed. But worry is a very popular idea. Many people think worry is an offering of compassion. But what we really gift one another is when we're in in the present moment. Or we go back here, we pasteurize, which is where we, we can be in envy. I wish life were different. I wish I'd done things differently. Regret, guilt, remorse. And those are... Those are real feelings. I'm not saying don't have the feelings. What's really important, I believe, is that when you find yourself there, have the awareness to say, I want to go back here. Because those, those memories are never going to go away. Or we go into the subject, which is me. I make up stories about myself. There I am making stories up about myself again. Or I go into you. I make up stories about you. And I'm really good at that. Really good at making up stories. But I think it's wonderful to have the roadmap. Because everybody's mind works that way. You've got four directions to go, and then you can, you can be present. And what our teaching is, the divinity of humanity, the law of cause and effect, what it teaches, and this is rare. This is really rare. And if you are here, 
I honor you and I bless you. And if you're receptive to what we're doing, but we are one of the few modalities on this planet through spiritual practice, through spiritual community that gives ourselves back to ourselves. When I say I can't forgive your sins, I can't. Only you can do that. Only I can do that for myself. And the sins, as we, 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 when we interpret a sin as a mistake, we try something, it didn't work. We've erred, we've missed the mark. But once we understand it's, it, that, it, that erroring is the way that we refine ourselves, then we don't get so hung up on we made a mistake. We've, we've, we've erred if we've come up short. You know, if, you, if, if an apology or amend is appropriate, make the apology. But I watch the stories that some people can make up for themselves. I'm not even able to say I'm sorry when a mistake is made, and that's okay. But what it does is it, it limits, it limits the, uh, it, the story made up about self that if I apologize, if I say I'm sorry, that in some way it diminishes us. And what it does is it clears the plate so we can go back to present moment. See, we think with this whole act of forgiveness is the way to say, yeah, I'm stepping up for more of the, uh, that, that whatever happened or to, to offer our, our forgiveness. And it's none of that. It's to be able to step into the center and say more in the center of the, our experience right here and right now. And so I've been using Manny's to panic. And Manny, last week I talked about Manny. Manny's, he wrote five books and he wrote a book of essays. This is his first book. And it's a series of poems he wrote. He, he was the poster guy for... Uh, muscular dystrophy for three years. He passed away in uh, a number of years ago. I think it was 2000. Golly, I don't know. Oprah Winfrey said he was the most influential uh, guest she'd ever had. She said that Manny came to her after 20 years. She was ready to stop doing a show. And, and Manny said, Oprah, I've thought about this. And I think that you need to do five more years. It'd be good for the country and it'd be good for you. And Oprah listened to him. And he was in his wheelchair at that point in time. But an amazing, amazing guy. One of the gifts that Manny brought was that he didn't have the perspective we have. What he did, see, great thinkers, visionaries, shift our perce- perception. And Manny shifted her perception. And it would have been very easy for Manny knowing that he was his, his because all three of his brothers and sisters passed away. Should we get that? Tell him I'll call him back. Busy right now. But what Manny did is he shifted perception. And that's what we do is, as, as new, our tradition is new thought. It's not that there's new thoughts. There's nothing new under the sun. We're teaching the perennial truth. This has been around for ages. But what it is, is all of a sudden it becomes a new awareness in our experience and we start to apply it in our lives. See, it's the application. Dr. Holmes said realization without application is hallucination. Mary Manon Morrissey says that, that realization without uh, application is entertainment. We just stay in the fantasy. So we're futurizing. You know, when you come in and, you're, and you hear this idea of I'm perfect, whole, and complete. Well, what's that all about? They don't know me yet. I'm not perfect, whole, and complete. No, 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 no. You see, the perfection you are, you can't, you can't do anything to manufacture that. That is that divine spark of life. It is the divinity that lives within you. And then, and, but, but if you don't understand that, if you're over here making stories up about yourself, or I'm over here making up stories about you, then how can I stand in the awareness? How can I be open to this? How can I be permeable? How is, as Martin just saying, how can I be that, that, that hollow reed? How can I disappear? In this moment. So Manny has a poem. We're doing Peace in the Park on September 11th, the 10 year anniversary. And so I want to build a, a, the narrative about that a little bit again today. Manny wrote this in uh, Heart Songs. And, and Manny said, A heart song is what's true for you. Everybody has a heart song, it's what's alive for you. And it may not be the same as somebody else, but it's your story and it's yours to tell. Here's this you know, 11, 12, 13 year old kid with this amazing wisdom showed up. He said, Dear God, tonight my prayers are for the world. We have to stop this fighting. 
It's called Pinch of Peace. Dear God, tonight my prayers are for the world. We have to stop this fighting. We have to stop the wars. People need to lay down their weapons and find peace in their hearts. People need to stop arguing and hating. People need to notice the good things. People need to remember you, God. Maybe you could come and shoot a little bow and arrow pinch into all the angry people's hearts, God. And then they would feel you again, and then they would realize what they're doing and how horrible the killing and the hating and the fighting is. And they might even begin to pray. And then they would reach in and put the little bow and arrow pinch, uh, pull it out of their hearts and feel good and be loving and living people again. And then the world could be at peace and the children would be safe and the people would be happy. And they could all say thank you together. Amen. So Manny said he was a poet, a peacemaker, and a philosopher who played. And we're doing this event, the 9-11 event at Horlack Park. And what we're going to do is we're going to have globes there of the world. And we're going to have these as our, our contribution boxes throughout the concert. Now, we are not charging for the service. I want you to know I'm asking that last week we didn't know if we were going to do this or not because we'd sold like 50 tickets. And I said, if we don't buy some tickets, we know you're going to show up. We'll just pass on the event. And we sold more tickets than were people were here last week. And part of that is there is some cost to it, and we want to be able to cover our costs. We want to be, we want to be good stewards of, of things. We don't want to be running off doing things that we can't support. And so why are we doing this? Why are we stepping up and we're, we're taking this stand in the world? Well, it's the 10-year anniversary of 9-11. And 9-11 was when the towers were brought down in the United States. And what I know about what we teach is that consciousness precedes experience. And so some people got very upset and they decided that they were going to lash out. And that's a level of consciousness, it's an awareness, and it's outpicturing of things. But I also know that we're all connected. We're all connected. There is a oneness. We're all connected at a vibrational level. And we're drawn to some people. Have you noticed you're drawn to certain people in your life? Well, there's a very popular idea out, th- out there about anger and frustration and war and destruction. And our opportunity with this is to be a presence for a, a bigger idea. What we teach is new thought, to be a bigger idea. The world's really not that big. And see, we don't have to convert anyone, but to take a stand, to take action. to put. Not only is it about this opportunity for, for a, a creating an environment of love and forgiveness, it's, it's bigger than that. And so I want to talk a bit about that today with you. So Maddie came along, 14-year-old boy, made his transition. And as I was doing the research for this discussion today, um, Martin Luther King came to mind a number of times. And Dr. King was, uh, was just an amazing, amazing um, uh, teacher. And his story sort of jumped off the page at me this week. I want to pull up some of the, the notes that I have about him. A year before he passed away, Dr. King spoke at Riverside Church in New York City. And Riverside Church, I didn't know any of this. I love my job because I get to discover all these great things. Now, what Dr. King said, so I don't want you to, number one, I don't want you to underestimate the value of what we're doing. We are a group of cultural creatives. We are a people, for the most part, that are dynamically invested in developing and continuing to mature and apply our spiritual nature in the world. We're not so much interested in the political parties because it's easy for me to look at a Muslim and realize they pray five times a day. Geez, maybe I should pray more. 
or to look at the traditional uh, Jewish culture and say, look at the devotional pieces. Because what they do is they bring a lot of, of obligation to each day. And where can I be? And, and, and Jack Layton. Jack Layton asking everybody to write down one thing they can do to make the world better. This is what we teach. It's choosing a new idea, a different idea. And it's in those small things. And so the legacy of Maddie and the legacy of Dr. King, the legacy of Jack Layton, this is our opportunity to carry that forward, to use their inspiration. Dr. Martin Luther King said, almost always the creative, dedicated minority has made the world better. Very similar to what Mark and Mead said. Almost always the creative, dedicated minority has made the world better. See, we have a powerful spiritual practice here. I've watched people over and over again change their lives and bring things into their lives because it's a directed faith. It is knowing and embodying a consciousness so that a different experience can show up in your life. But I think that that's just part of the journey for us. It's also taking that out into the world. It's also sharing our light with the world. And so this is what we're doing on 9-11 is taking a stand in the world. And I'll talk a little bit about the process when we're there. Dr. King said, darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. See, but it's hard to show up in love when you see so much going on in the world. How do I love the terrorist that flew the plane into the building? Because if I do that, I'm saying yes to that. And what I want to offer you is a perspective to say, no, if it's true what we teach here, there's a divinity within those individuals that they were not living from. And they got a hold of an idea. And so what they started to do was instead of being in present moment, they, they got out into the future. And then their, their frustration and anger became the, the need for revenge. And this is how we're set up. And if we continue down that path, this is the outpicturing of it. Were they any less divine? Did that spark of, of, of divinity live in them? Of course it did. And it's our, it's our, it's our challenge to see that. Because if we meet that with hatred, if we meet that with anger and resentment, we are participating in the very same anger, the very same vibration. And that's our challenge, is to realize, you know, I see that happen. See, our teaching is we see beyond conditions. We see beyond conditions. We see beyond our, the stories we're making up about me and the stories I'm making up about you to stand in, the, in this divine moment, this present moment, and realize yesterday ended last night as I shared last week. Dr. Uh, Dr. Michael Beckwith said this last week. He said, morbid use of the imagination has created the economy. Morbid use of the imagination has created everything that we see out in the world in many ways. And so it is a, it's a bringing that bigger idea to it. He also said that we must hospice what needs to die and, ma- and, and midwife what needs to be born. So a year prior to Dr. King's death, he was assassinated one year to the day he did a talk at Riverside Church in New York City. And Riverside Church was put together by John D. Rockefeller Jr. It was, the, the construction was completed in 1930. It, is, it, is a, it was based on the construction of Chartres Cathedral. And Chartres is very near and dear to me in my heart because our labyrinth is based on the labyrinth of Chartres and uh, the Cathedral of Notre Dame. So anyway, what this, this church stands for I think is quite sweet. It was adopted, and uh, the member church adopted a mission statement in 1992 proclaiming this. The worship of God, known in, in Jesus the Christ, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. To serve God through the word and witness, to treat all human beings as sisters and brothers, and to foster responsible stewardship of God's creation. The church pledges itself to education, 
reflection and action for peace and justice and the realization of the vision of the heavenly banquet where all are loved and blessed. See, that could be our vision statement. We celebrate the Christ consciousness. We celebrate the Buddha nature. We don't stop there. So Dr. King spoke there. Now other people that have spoken in this church have been Fidel Castro, Nelson Mandela, Kofi Annan, Secretary General of the United Nations, and right after, and he spoke right after the attacks of September 11th. So it's a church alive with, with not only awareness, but also taking the action and taking a stand. So a year before, but what was happening for Martin Luther King at, at this period in time was that he went to this church. Now what was happening is he stood for nonviolence. He, he stood for justice. His mission was justice in the world. And what he realized is that you could not overcome the oppression of what was going on, in, especially for the, the, the rights of the people of color in the United States, with violence. And so he took the stand of nonviolence. Well, there, were young, there was a younger generation coming behind him, Stokely Carmichael and a few other people, and they wanted to be more socially active. They wanted to, to, to be more... They wanted to use violence as a, as a, as a vehicle. In fact, he was, he was talking to... to uh, uh, Harry Belafonte, and Harry Belafonte said he came and he said, what's, Martin, what's troubling you the most? He said, well, I just got out of a meeting with these young guys and I was not able to impress upon them the need for nonviolence. Because when you're angry, now he's a guy that understood violence in his life, Dr. King. Dr. King's house was bombed with his family in it. He was, rid, he was driven off the road a number of times. He was stabbed in Harlem at one point in time. He understood terrorism. He understood modern day terrorism. He wasn't oblivious to it, and he had every right, probably more so than many, to, to, to act out, but he didn't, because he realized that you're not going to overcome hate with hate. And, and Jesse, James, uh, Jesse, James, Jesse Jackson said to him at one point in time, who traveled with him and was by his side when he was assassinated, he said, he, Dr. King came to him shortly before his death, and he said, I don't know if I can keep doing this. I'm tired. I'm just worn out. And, and, his, and so he was losing his constituency with the young people in his movement that wanted more proactive uh, impact in the world. And then he went to Riverside Church and he did a speech. And his speech was about how, how the injustice of the Vietnam War. Because Dr. King realized that when you have war, the people that pay the price the most with war are the poor. It's the, the, the less advantaged, the ones that... I remember when the war was, the Vietnam War was going on. And you could get a deferment if you were in university. So who gets sent to, to fight those wars? It's the poor. And, 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 he, and he wasn't against war just for that reason, but he understood it. He understood the dynamics of it. It's one thing to be in the conversation, another is. And Jack Layton said that about the war with the Taliban. We need to talk to these people. We need to, to mediate with these people. We need to have a discussion. We need to keep the discussion going so we can find the common ground. And the powers that be, the consensus was, we're not going to, no, 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 we're just going to go over there and we're going to teach them a lesson. And now we have what we have. But it's very interesting because it's really easy to go to war. And, and Martin Luther King understood this. So he went to this church and he did this talk about the Vietnam War and how it should be, end. And then he lost the other half of his constituency that started to write articles about him in the paper. So the time he was dying, that, that he was killed, his, his popularity and his momentum had, was really diminished. There was not a lot of support. The money that was coming in to support him. When he went to, uh, the week he went to... Um, when he was assassinated, he went down to, to stand with the uh, sanitation workers. The poorest of the poor, he said. And he, lo he loved everyone. But he understood how important was this nonviolence. And so when we're going to the, the park 
When we go to the park and, you know, you know, Peace in the Park United, we stand. That's significant. It's September 11th. We're taking a stand as a community. We're taking a stand as a group of people, of people that see beyond conditions to realize it is possible to have peace in the, in the world. And it is. And if we don't believe that and don't think that, then who will? See, we're just like Jack Layton, always pushing for a better Canada. He wasn't the, the, the guy in the middle that everyone could kind of, because he didn't pander to that. He said, no, no, we, we can do better. Let's celebrate who we are and let's be proud of that, but we can do better. And so Jack, Jack had an amazing life. He had an amazing impact. Martin Luther King, as he got clearer and clearer about what was important and precious, the people that didn't agree with him, he still loved them, but, but they kept moving away. So we're going to go to Peace in the Park. We're going to do this thing. And at the service, which is going to be our service, and we're going to take a, an offering like we typically do. And there's not, When I say buy a ticket, it doesn't mean you have to buy a ticket to go to church. I don't think that's... A, something that any of us would find uh, uh, appealing. But I'd love to have you there because what I see is happening is collectively as a community is, is offering our, our forgiveness, our asking for forgiveness for anything and everything that might be alive in our consciousness. See, the only work we can do is in our consciousness. I can't change anybody else's consciousness. Whatever's alive in me, that help contribute to any senseless violence that creates any sense of war in the world. I want to just, I want to, I want to hospice that, its death, and midwife the new, the new idea. Because when I'm standing in the, in the future, or I'm standing in the past, and I'm not standing here, or I'm in here making a story up about myself of how I've been done wrong, or I'm over here making a story about how you done me wrong, I can't be here. And that takes a lot of courage, man. It takes a lot of awareness and consciousness to put that story down. So I wanted to share with you some of the, the, the great examples we have of this idea of forgiveness that have been on the planet. This is from a book by, by Phil Cousineau. And it's called Beyond Forgiveness. And he writes in the preface, 2,500 years ago the Buddha said, anger will never disappear so long as thoughts of resentment are cherished in the mind. See, the Buddha, the Buddhists know this. The Buddhists know our teaching. They call it imprints. They they knew this 2,500 years ago. Anger will disappear just as soon as the thought of resentments are forgotten. Forgive them, for they know not what they do, is what Jesus said. Hold the forgiveness, command what is right, but turn away from the ignorant. Mother Teresa said, people are illogical and self-centered. Forgive them anyway. That was Mother Teresa. Dag Hammarskjöld, the Nobel Peace Prize laureate, said, Forgiveness is the answer to the child's dream of a miracle by which what is broken is made whole again. What is soiled is, is, is again made clean. In the spring of 2009, Zainab Salbi, an Iraqi-American who works with women victims of a war, said, I think we need to forgive for our own health and healing. It's exactly what I'm talking about. Forgiveness isn't for anybody else. It's not saying, I'm stepping up, what you did was, was okay. Uh-uh, uh-uh, uh-uh. No, 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 no. It doesn't mean we've got to invite them over for dinner or hang out with them. It just means we need to clear the, the, the palate. Rumi called it polishing the mirror of our, our, our heart. If we're around people that we don't get along with, we, it's, it's our opportunity to do the forgiveness work, but it doesn't mean we have to hang out with them. You know, I mean, if you're in an, an abusive relationship and the abuser is going to continue to abuse you, it's the forgiveness work that's going to move you out of that and into a new consciousness so you're going to attract something different so that love looks so, like something different in your life. But it doesn't mean you move back in with them. That's the discernment. 
See, we get out of the judgment and the anger into the discernment because we want to keep that palate clean. We want to know there's something wonderful and powerful wanting to happen in and through each and every one of us. Houston Smith, a beloved historian of religions, wrote, So the power of the act of forgiveness is the recognition of the flaw in all of us. Well, I've work to do. You know, we, we, we walk around pretending like we're, you know, the mantra for us is perfect, whole, and complete. Well, we are. But part of a, the perfect, whole, and complete is, is the gaps we have in our, in our beingness. That's the stuff we've come to master. You know, if the story you tell yourself about yourself in the world is one of lack, you've come to master that. You've made that true. What's the difference between you and Donald Trump? You know, uh, um, Esther Hicks. I heard a great uh, Esther Hicks story this week. Esther Hicks does, she's an amazing woman, and, and people say she channels. I got news for you, we're all channeling, okay? Sometimes I'm pe- channeling Pee Wee Herman, sometimes I'm channeling <laughs> Ernest Holmes. But this guy had gone to one of Esther's first uh, things, and I think she's amazing. I think her books are some of the clearest uh, uh, articles on the law of cause and effect that I've ever read in contemporary language. Because with Holmes, you've got to dig and dig and dig. But see, the neat thing about Holmes is as you dig and dig and dig, there's so many levels to it. But it's sometimes difficult for people to engage because it's, it's written in a way that is a bit uh, circular. So he's saying the same thing over and over again. Uh, and it's beautiful stuff, but it takes, it takes a commitment to study. But Esther said, this guy came up to her and said, you know, I heard you talk 10 years ago for the first time and I'm here today and it's, you're, you're saying the exact same thing I heard 10 years ago. And Esther said, well, you know what? If you'd paid better attention then, you'd have saved yourself $259.72, wouldn't you? <laughs> There's no new ideas. And, but I think we need to continue to immerse ourselves in it over and over and over again until we get it. And so this whole idea about, about forgiveness is important. Because it's, it's important that we do the forgiveness work. I think it's important spiritual practice. Not for the other person, but for us. As we start to embody a different consciousness for ourselves, all the relationships change. That's how it works. As within, so without. As above, so below. And so, forgiveness is important. So when we come to the park on uh, September 11th for our service, what I'm going to invite you to do is everybody bring a loony with them. A coin. Going out after first service, somebody said, you didn't explain the coin well enough. Well, I'm going to explain it better. That's the great thing about doing two services. Oh, I get to clean that up next time. I get a, go- I get a do-over. Fantastic. Uh, Arun Gandhi. And he, Arun has been very instrumental with the uh, uh, New Thought movement around this, this uh, season of nonviolence. He's one of the people that has been a big supporter of that. And he's a grandson of Mohandas Gandhi. And he said, what's important about forgiveness is the other side of the coin, which we rarely talk about. The other side of the coin. And the other side of the coin of forgiveness, we discover when you turn it over, is atonement. Atonement. at one The semi-hidden, much-overlooked half of the reconciliation process. Atonement is the act that proves the depth of our desire to be forgiven. So it's not just lip service to the words. It's the action that goes with it. Atonement. To be forgiven or to forgive. It is the process of making things right, the restoration of some semblance of balance in our lives. If someone steals my pen and uses it for a year, Archbishop Desmond Tutu said in 1987, but being contrite comes to me and returns my pen and begs for forgiveness, my response is to ask for compensation for the use of my pen. For the ink used, 
and for some indication of contrite slash repentance by the offender. To paraphrase Tutu's famous injunction in the fight against apartheid, forgiveness makes the future possible while atonement makes the present possible. And so what we're going to do when we're at the, uh, the park together is we're going to talk about the, the process of forgiveness. And we're going to do a, a process around atonement with our coin to, to, to flip it over to the other side. And so it doesn't matter. It won't be a special loony. But every time we hold a loony, perhaps it becomes a metaphor in our lives of how we also look at our own lives. And how is it, and it, and it really begins with us. It really begins with us. And maybe you're not ready for this, but just show up anyway. But see, I think as a community, to take this stand, a small group of, of, of determined and committed individuals to make a difference in the world. And it's our opportunity. We are not helpless in this. Your consciousness is powerful, as, as powerful as anyone on the planet. And to be clear about that and to give birth to that and to give action to that is, is exciting and wonderful and dynamic. And so we do this process and we do it for ourselves, but as we do it for ourselves, we do it for everyone. And so we'll start individually and we'll, and we'll take it out to the, to the world. And let's see what happens. I mean, we can get together and we can gnash our teeth and pull our hair and say how horrible the world is because that's what a lot of people are saying right now. Dr. Michael Beth with, nailed it right on the head. It is the morbid, the morbid use of imagination. It's the misuse of imagination and our creative possibility that has created the lack and limitation that we see today in the economy, in the, so, in the markets, in the social areas. Martin mentioned it in his second song that he's going to sing today. It's a beautiful. This is about a revolution of consciousness. And this idea that uh, Dr. King had so many amazing things to say about, about uh, the, the things that were going on in the United States. He said that the black people in the United States, the time he was alive, they understood terrorism. They understood terrorism because when he was doing his thing, when he was going to march, they were still hanging people of color in the south from trees. They were still burning crosses on the yard. And, and a lot of that has been, been made illegal. But there's still poverty and there's still war. And so when we see those things happening, how do we take a stand for that? How do we take our teaching and bring our light and our love and our consciousness to it? And we can still get our cups filled. We can still, because we want to be supplied. We need to be resourced so we have the vitality and we have the physical health. And we have the clarity of mind to go out in the world and make a difference. And I love that. I love that about our teaching. You know, I came in these doors and man, I was just miserable. Helpless, hopeless, miserable. And I had practitioners that stood behind me and said, this isn't true. This is the story you made up about yourself. And it took me years to let go of some of those stories. I'll never forget the day. I had a dad that was was an amazing guy and, and I had such resentment and anger about him. And I remember the day when I just got it, when I just made peace with the whole thing. And it was a shift. I'll never forget that. He was my teacher. He did the best he could. And I, made, I, and I got the perspective on it that gave me the opportunity to move forward in a different way. So this is our opportunity. We look out in the world and when we see the, the challenges before us, it's to bring the perspective, and to bring a new idea and give birth to it individually and collectively. So to take a stand for peace, not just for forgiveness, but for atonement. And how does that show up in our world? Where can I do this better? Where can I be, not, not only just the mental activity, but it's also part of my physiology that I stand for this. So when we hug one another, 
to set the intention that this is my offering of unconditional love and support for you. I see your beauty. I see your possibility. I see your divinity. I celebrate it because that's spiritual practice. And as we know it for another, we become it. There's no private good. And then it becomes that conversation. So it's powerful and it's wonderful. So if you haven't purchased a ticket to be at that event, any people came up to me last week. Last week I said to you, you know, if we don't sell tickets, we're not doing this. And, and that'll be okay. You know, and man, we sold more tickets than we had people in church. I had, I had somebody come up and say, I bought four tickets, but I'm not going to be there. But I was so inspired. I said, good for you. Give them away. So let's, let's, let's fill this place. And let's make this thing alive and dynamic and wonderful and powerful. Let's take a stand together. That's one thing we can do. And, and to be dynamic and to be, to be proactive in this. To take the action. Share our consciousness of the world. And to be, a, to be an example for our children and for our teens and for generations to come. I'm, I'd be proud of that. I'm proud of it already. But I, just, I think the gifts that we have and what we share and how we support one another in giving ourselves to ourselves. Where else can you go? Oh, you can go on a, on a weekend. You can go to some of the trainings on a weekend and they'll give you all the ideas. They use the same vocabulary. But this is an ongoing... I need to, I need to dip my toes in every week. I need to be part of a community that stands for this as well. And so when things go off the rails, when, when, when a loss happens in my life or there's something, I have a community of people that, that, that are there to hold me up and, and, and to help remind me and bring me back to this point where I'm, I, I get out of the fear and I step back in. Or I get out of the stories I'm making up and I step back in. I give myself back to myself. And if we can do that for ourselves, we can do it for the world. It's our opportunity, and that's, that's our opportunity as, as metaphysicians, as new thoughters on, on this planet at this time. When I hear the, the quotes and, the, and what Jack Layden stood for, Jack was one of us, and we're one of him. And it's not just his party. It's anyone pushing the envelope for a bigger idea. And we can do that. So I, if you haven't purchased a ticket, love to invite you to purchase a ticket, even if you can't be there. Purchase a ticket, give it to someone that you're guided to. We want this thing to be uh, as big a success as it can, to show our support, to show our light, and to share it with the world. You are the light of the world. Thank you.